Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, this is a special Sunday just in the calendar year, Palm Sunday, the day that we remember as you rode the little donkey through the eastern gate of Jerusalem. Lord, we've just prayed that you would take this worship service today and Lord, that you would enable us to worship you through the singing of the songs, the special music. Lord, I pray that you would allow the preaching to draw us and our attention to you and the changes that need to be made in our lives so that we can live for you. We ask that during the time of invitation, Lord, that each one of us would willingly give to you that which is your due. Lord, that we would surrender those things that we're holding on to, those obstacles that keep us from serving you the way that we should, that we would surrender them and see your power remove them from our lives. Lord, we ask that our time this morning would change the way we live through the coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next hymns. The book of Luke, Luke chapter 19. And of course, this is a day that we commemorate the uh, quote-unquote Christian world uh, recognizes as Jesus rode the donkey through the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, it's kind of interesting after uh, the religion of Islam claimed that uh, area of the world in the city of Jerusalem, they understood enough about the Bible to understand the prophecies that the Messiah would ride a donkey through the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem. And of course, <clears throat> being that their religion looks to and, and let me be very careful, a, I want you to understand, a different God, a, a different Savior, uh, it is not connected with the Bible in any shape, way, fashion, or form. You study the characteristics. You study the, the attributes of those gods, and you'll find out there is no correlation between the God of Islam and the God of the Bible. There just is not. By the way, if you'll study those same, you'll find there is no correlation between the God of the Roman Catholic Church and the God of the Bible. Or the God of the Orthodox Church and the God of the Bible. They all use the same name. And I'm not trying to be, uh, 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 not trying to be offensive this morning, though I know that that is to some. But you have to understand something. If you're going to have faith in the God of the Bible, you better know something about Him. There are so many imitations of faith. The song that Julia wrote many years ago and sung this morning, you have to understand. And we're going to look at the events uh, of uh, the uh, of the triumphal entry. And I want to get back to the story there. It was somewhere in the early Middle Ages, uh, uh, before uh, 1000 A.D., 
that the people of the Muslim faith, understanding what the Bible said, took that eastern gate and bricked it up. And then put a cemetery. They put tombstones and dead bodies right in front of the gate, in the road uh, that once led through that eastern gate. They dug it up and they put graves in there because they understood this, that the Messiah could not be desecrated by going through a cemetery to enter that eastern gate. They want proof. The only problem was, I don't know the exact date when it happened, but they were centuries too late. He had already been through that gate. He had already presented himself. And by the way, he'll take care of the architecture. He'll take care of the geography. He'll take care of the obstacles that are there. Just read Zechariah chapter 14. Because in his day, in that day when his foot touches the Mount of Olives, he's going to split that entire mountain upon which Jerusalem is built in two great big halves. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem will seek refuge from the coming armies of the Antichrist. And Jesus will fight the battle of Armageddon, the last great battle. And he will rule and reign. It's often been said and needs to be repeated. There will be no peace on earth until the Prince of Peace rules this world from the city of peace. But on this day, it was a Sunday morning. And I wish we had time to to build all uh, uh, of the events and everything that happened. But the night before, they were in Bethany. They were at the house of Simon the leper. And Mary and Martha had made a great dinner for the Lord Jesus Christ and His disciples. And many people had come because they wanted to look at Lazarus. He had been in the grave for four days. And now he was alive. How, how in the world did that happen? Well, we know it's, it's called the power of God. Amen. We, we believe in miracles. And it was Mary that had literally broken up the dinner by anointing Jesus with that ointment. I, uh, you got to understand that as Jesus rode that donkey through the gates of Jerusalem, you did not have to get close to the Lord Jesus to smell the perfume that Mary had anointed him with the night before. It was still there. I mean, how many of you have ever, this is a horrible illustration, but how many of you have ever been on a subway car with somebody that puts on too much cologne? I mean, it's a horrible illustration, but I mean, you you open the doors and it's, oh man, I'm getting on the next car. Uh, it, it's not a bad thing, but it, it, it's just too too much. But let me tell you, this was one, as supposedly, I have never smelled the ointment of spikenard, which Mary put there, but I've been told that it's one of the sweetest smells that the human nose can comprehend. Now, men, 
if there's anything that you don't want to smell, it's sweet. Isn't that true? And yet the Lord Jesus literally reeked of sweetness. Because even though the bitter things he was about to partake of, still we see the sweetness and the love of God. Can we say amen to that? I mean, we could chase this thing out. How many of you remember the twice in the Bible men were told to actually eat, physically eat the written word of God, the scrolls. And it was in their mouth as sweet as honey. Whole nother sermon. But before it was all done, it was, what did the prophet say in my belly? It was bitter. You know, there's some bitter things in God's Word. And our theme this year is about faith. Habakkuk, the just shall live by, what's the next word? Nope. That's Romans. It's Galatians. The just shall... You can cheat and look. It's right there. The just shall live by His faith. You've got to have that personal pronoun in there. See, that's what makes Bible Christianity so different than every other religion that is out there. You see, most religion, faith belongs to the clergy. And when I have to go down to the building department and things like this, uh, I use that word so they understand that I am not just, uh, m- you know, Mr. Uh, Mr. Pete or Mr. Construction Man or Mr. Trying to Save the Building in Brooklyn, but... Uh, I am Reverend Montoro. Not that I'm Reverend, Jesus is, but you understand. It's a title. You see, in most religions, faith belongs to the clergy. In the Bible, if it doesn't belong to you, it's no good at all. It's got to be personal. It's got to be yours. And let me tell you something. Faith, just the grain of a mustard seed, can remove a mountain. Be careful. Faith is the most powerful substance. Whole other sermon. Boy, I could preach ten sermons this morning. But I only want to preach one by God's grace. There is no substance known to mankind that is as powerful as faith is. We have to build an entire bomb, an atomic bomb, to remove a mountain, but one grain of faith. The Bible says is more than capable of removing an entire mountain and picking it up and casting it into the sea. In all of our destructive tendencies, everything that we've done, we still have not invented a weapon that has that kind of power. 
And yet faith does. And what I want us to do as we examine the events of this Palm Sunday, as we call it, and I made sure Andrew went out and got some palm trees at Home Depot, so we're not going to give out palm leaves, all right? But you can look at the palm trees until they do what all palm trees from Home Depot do, die. <laughs> and we'll throw them out, but uh, we'll, we'll enjoy the greenery while it's here, amen? It's Palm Sunday, you got to do something. But the most important thing we want to do is we want to talk about faith. Now, I'm a very mechanically oriented person. I like to, if I want to understand something, I take it apart and I put it back together again. That's why I hate computers. You can't take them apart. Even if you had a microscope, you can't take them apart. There are too many pieces. But I use them. But I like cars. You can take it apart, look at it, see how all, all the pieces fit together, figure out what the usefulness of each part is, and put it all back together again. And if it runs, you're a mechanic. If it doesn't, well, we won't talk about that. But... Uh, Faith is supposed to work in the Bible. Faith is supposed to produce things. That's, that's what we've been preaching about all year, every Sunday. And, and I have, I can't, I can't, I'm not going to promise you that we're going to be doing this uh, until uh, New Year's Eve. But if we keep on this road, I, probably, I, I believe I can find another 50 or so sermons on faith in the Bible. But this morning, if you you want the title, it's Faith's Behavior. How Faith Behaves. You see, there are several different groups involved in this event, this series of events that we call the last week, the, uh, the Passion of Christ. And please don't get it mixed up with Mel Gibson's filthy, wicked movie, all right? Um, uh, if you've watched that thing, God will forgive you, but don't think you've learned a blessed thing about the Bible because there's no Bible in that movie, not one little bit. It's not based on the Bible. It's ra- based on the demonic ravings of a demon-possessed nun from the 1840s. If you want to know the truth, look it up. And it won't use the words that I used but it will talk about the visions of a nun in the 1850s. We know where visions come from, my friend. If you see truth, you see it because it's written down. Faith cometh by and hearing by. Let's try that again. Am I in the right church? Faith cometh by and hearing by. You see, if you want truth, it's right here. Everything you need is in this book. But you've got to get into it. But how many of you have read the Bible and said, wow, I don't understand the thing I'm reading. How many of you have been there? If you've read the Bible, you've been there. I promise you. You see, faith doesn't come by reading. Though you should read your Bible. Faith cometh by hearing. 
And it's through the foolishness of preaching that God intends for us to hear His Word. And so we come to Luke chapter 19. And in Luke chapter 19, in verse 28, And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. Verse 29, And it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a cold tide, where... On, yet never man sat, loose him, and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do ye loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way, and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus. And they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. (coughs) Peace in heaven. And glory in the highest. So, this is the beginning of those events. They say, as you come to the city of Jerusalem, it sits on the top of a mountain. And you go through the Mount of Olives, you come up to the crest there, and then the entire city of Jerusalem lays out before you. It was just as Jesus was crossing that little peak... Just as the whole city of Jerusalem laid out before him, that the real fervor began to kick in. And and it wasn't just the disciples, it was the multitudes. This was Passover week. The city of Jerusalem, they tell us, was a city of about 600,000 people, a, a vast city in those days. But during Passover week, the population would swell to over two and a half million people. When they would sacrifice the lambs, because Passover was on one day, and so they would sacrifice, sometimes they tell us, a hundred thousand lambs. Well, you divide that by two and a half million people, that, that actually comes up a little short sometimes. They say that The blood of every lamb was poured out around the altar in the temple. And that that blood would actually seep through the paving stones and paint the side of the mountain on which Jerusalem was built red with the blood of the lambs. That was all going to happen this week. All of those people were coming into the city of Jerusalem and here was Jesus And they were taking off their coats and throwing them on the ground. Why? Because a king should not be defiled with the dust of the road. How many of you have ever had the privilege of visiting rural 
America. I mean, where the road ends. You've lived in Pennsylvania. You know what I'm talking about. My family's from central Pennsylvania. The closest stoplight was 26 miles away from where my mom and dad grew up. I mean, you talk about, somebody said, where do your parents live? They live past the end of nowhere. I mean, it is just out in the middle of nothing, and it's beautiful, and I love that part of the country. But the, they had no paved roads. They had some, but in this day there were very few. And so the dust would rise with the crowd. That wasn't fitting for a king. And when they ran out of garments and things, they began to cut down the branches of the palm branches, the, the palm trees that grew alongside the road, and they laid them down as a carpet for which Jesus to move. And if we read Matthew's account, we understand that not only was there a colt, there was the foal as well. There was the mama donkey there. And Jesus sat on one and put his feet on the other. And it was like a moving throne. And it filled, fulfilled the prophecies. As he came over that hill and down into the city, the whole city of Jerusalem was, woke, was awoken with the cries of praise. Hosanna to the Son of David. That is a title that belongs to the Messiah. You know, people have made a big deal that the Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah. Let me tell you, they accepted him as their Messiah on this day. They worshipped him as their Messiah. And that brings us to the first group, the multitude. The multitude was always there when Jesus was around. You know what they were doing today? They were joining in the praises. They were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. They were providing the carpet so that not even the least of the dust would be upon the feet of the donkey, let alone upon the feet of the king that rode it. Coming down into Jerusalem, and they were rejoicing. Then we get to the second group that we're going to talk about, the Pharisees. And what did they do? They were upset. Don't you hear? They were there with Jesus. And they were actually rejoicing until they started hearing it. They said, don't. Jesus, rebuke thy disciples. Don't you know what they're saying? I love Jesus' response. Let's, let's look at it here. As verse 40 and he answered them and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace immediately, the stone, I'm sorry, verse 40, chapter 19, the book of Luke. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. He said, nature itself would worship me because I am the creator. You hear someone make a statement like, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Um, I don't even know how to be kind about this. Because you just can't fix purposeful ignorance. Uh, my dad had a name for it. He called it stupid. 
And, and when he used it, you knew you were in trouble. I mean, deep, deep trouble. Because that was something that should have never happened. There is absolutely no reason for any person to believe that Jesus never claimed to be God. He did every day of his existence. You read John chapter 4. He told the woman at the well who he was. You read the book of John. Every chapter gives testimony to the deity of Jesus Christ. And here, he says, even the stones would cry out in praise to me. Now, stones don't have voices under normal circumstances. And that's why God was using the people. But the Pharisees had a problem. Later, in John records that the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world has gone after him. I love that. They're in despair. The multitude is rejoicing. And the Pharisees are going... We've lost. Nobody believes us about Jesus. Everybody believes Him. The world has gone after Him. We've lost the battle. Look down in verse 47, 48. last two verses of chapter 19. This talks about the week. It says, And He taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy Him. And could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. I'll tell you what, there was a hatred of Jesus that was boiling in the hearts of these religious leaders that would not be quelled, that would not be softened. I mean, there was just a... You could, you could feel that spirit. I don't know if you've ever been around when people have been excited to a point of murder. But I'll tell you, it's a place you don't want to be. There, there is an evil out there, and the devil is always present in all of his power and fury when the human spirit is moved to that kind of hatred. He was walking right along with them. But not even the devil himself and all of that could quell the praise of the people as Jesus rode that little donkey through the eastern gate right up to the temple mount. And what was the first thing Jesus did? All of a sudden you heard bang, clang. And they weren't sound effects. Uh, and the tables and the money spilling on the platform and all of a sudden out comes the animals uh, that were there for the sale of the sacrifice. And, and, and a pandemonium was ensuing. And then you saw the guys running out. And, and some of them were dragging their coats in the ground. And some of them were trying to grab a hold of their money and carry it out. And there comes Jesus behind them, chasing them out of the outer court of the temple. And all of a sudden, the lame, the blind... The little children, all the people that had no access because the temple, outer court of the temple was full of the sacrifices, now had a place to come in 
And they were all singing Jesus' praises. While the Pharisees and the priests glowered in hatred in the background. Because they couldn't do a thing. Don't you love that? Don't you love it when the devil just gets slapped down and can't say a thing? Tell you, there's coming a day when he is going to bow the knee. And he is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. But until that day, he is a roaring lion seeking about whom he may devour. And you had better beware. Don't bad talk the devil. He loves it. Because then he has you. He is a fearful being. There's only one way to combat him. Hide behind Jesus. Amen. Let's talk about Jesus for a moment. Jesus rode the donkey through. And the book of John tells us the disciples, they didn't understand what they were doing. He had given the command. And some smart apple came, came along and said, you know, Jesus manipulated events. He knew the prophecies and understood them and manipulated events so that he might could fulfill them. Duh. What did you expect him to do? Something else? I mean, come on. Don't you have the least bit of sense? Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the prophecies. I've come to fulfill his will. Is it a very small thing reasonably that Jesus would order the disciples to bring the donkeys there so that the scripture could be fulfilled? I mean, come on. Have a brain, my friend. Don't listen to the lies of the world. The Pharisees are still alive and well today. And they're just as dumb as they were in the Bible account. Laugh at them. It'll drive them mad. Give them the gospel. That is the way that we love people. Amen. How many of you have ever had a day when everything was perfect? said, I haven't found one of those yet. But I want you to think about this. Who is Jesus? Was he not the son of David? Will he not reign over this entire world from the same city in which He entered on this day. Will he not be the subject of our praises for all of eternity yet to come? That's what eternity is about, my friend. Read Revelation 4 and 5. It's about the praise and the honor and glory. And Jesus was getting that from like 95, 99% of the people. And they didn't even need a pollster there to figure that out. Can you imagine? No news reporters to spread the word. No security people. Jesus didn't need them. Everything was going absolutely incredible. How many of you know what Jesus did when they came over that hill and looked at the city? Only two times in the Bible. John chapter 11. 
Luke chapter 19. Jesus wept. While all the disciples were praising, while all the multitude was praising, Jesus wept. And it wasn't because the Pharisees were trying to kill him. It was because he knew what was going to happen to the city of Jerusalem. He could see the armies that would encircle that city in 70 A.D. and kill every Jew still in the city walls, with very few exceptions, and lay that city waste for centuries and destroy all of the temple records. No living Jew today can give you their full heritage because those records were destroyed by Titus in 70 A.D. All people have a pretty good idea. Cohen is supposed to be Levi and some of the different names are are connected with different tribes. Uh, I'm not sure of all of those, but... And it really doesn't matter because they can't prove it. Because the records are gone. We have what's in the Bible, of course. But from 70 A.D., they're gone. No living person can prove today that he is the Messiah. It demands that the Messiah had to come before 70 A.D. in order to fulfill the biblical prophecies. Something to think about. But Jesus wept. He was not intoxicated by the praises of men. Because with a determination that could not be changed, could not be moved, he went right in and he started throwing the people out of the outer court of the temple that sold the sacrifices and allowing people to come in there that had no access to worship God until Jesus had done that. See, if you were a woman, you could only get to the court of women. If you were not Jewish, you could only get to the outer court. If you had some kind of physical deformity, you could not get past the outer court of the temple. If you were a little child, not yet the age of accountability there under Jewish law, a son, you would be brought into the inner court. But if not, you were kept in the outer court where the sacrifices were. If you didn't have enough money to buy the proper sacrifice, dress the right way, that's what the temple guard was there, was to keep you out. People often call up and say, do you have a dress code? And said, no, we don't have a dress code here. We do not want your clothes to keep you from coming to church. Now, if you're going to serve, we ask you to be serious about serving in the church. If you get dressed up to go to work, why can't you get dressed up to serve the Lord? Amen. And, and I'll tell you, it does a preacher good to look out and see. But don't think that I think any less of you if you don't have a suit and tie on. That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. But in the temple, you couldn't get in. You were stuck in the outer court. And that's where Jesus greeted the people. You see, Jesus had a goal. 
He was going to the cross. And all those next several days, he would be attacked. He would be tried to be tricked. Could you imagine trying to entrap the Lord Jesus in his words? I, I love that story. They came up to him. Should a man pay taxes to Caesar? And of course, there were people out there in the crowd whose children had gone hungry because of Caesar's taxes. They understood that this was uh, a very insightful subject. By the way, if you paid your tithes and offerings to the temple and then paid Caesar's taxes on top of that, somewhere between a half and two-thirds of your income could disappear in a single year to nothing more than trying to honor God with a tithe and pay the taxes that Rome demanded. How many of you could survive like that? I tell you, I couldn't. And so they said, do we pay taxes or not? Jesus said, do you have any of the tribute money here? And of course, where did they go to get the tribute money? Back out to the money changers who were set up outside the temple now because Jesus had kicked them all out. I love it. And he comes running back and hands it to the guy and Jesus picks the coin up and says, whose image is on this coin? Well, Caesar's. Well, how about you render unto Caesar the things that belong to Caesar? And then he turns to them and unto God the things that belong unto God. You know what he was telling the Pharisees? He says, you cheat Caesar and you cheat God. Wow. Jesus was not swept up with the great praise and rejoicing of the people. He knew it had to happen to fulfill the prophecies, but he also knew the cross was coming. But he also knew that one day he would rule and reign from the city of Jerusalem. Now we get to the last group, the disciples. We're going to have to hurry. I'm not even going to get through the introduction this morning. But what the disciples do? Man, they were having a grand time. They just obeyed. They had no idea what Jesus was doing. But after they thought about these things, after Jesus rose again from the dead, after they read the Bible, they said, oh, we did that. Uh, can I ask you a question? When you read the Bible and say, I did that, what is that called? Faith. Isn't it? Am I in the right church this morning? Could we say amen to that? People often come and they say, Pastor, I, I'm having problems doubting my salvation. Now, if you're doubting your salvation, if you're having issues with that, number one thing you should never, ever do, don't just pray a prayer again. That's not faith. You've got to find out whether you're saved or you're lost. And the way to do that is examine the Word of God. That if thou, you by yourself, did your mother pray for you when you got saved as a little boy? That's not salvation. You have to pray. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, is he your Lord? 
Well, I, I want to be a Christian. I want to go to heaven, but I didn't give him my life. Well, then you're not saved. You have to surrender everything to him. Well, I know Jesus will save me, but he expects me to do some things, doesn't he? No, not for salvation. You see, that's what the confession is. It's the Lord Jesus. The Lord. He's the owner. He's the master. He is God. I surrender to him. Jesus. The word means salvation. He's the Savior. If you're doing anything to help him, it's not Bible salvation. It's surrender. The Lord Jesus. And we're not done yet. And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. What's the Bible say? Thou shalt be saved. I've had people say, but I did that. Well, then what are you? And it's just such a joy to watch the light come on. Oh, I am saved. Yes. Because you did what the Bible says. Well, the disciples, after Jesus was ascended from the dead, remembered that we got those donkeys and put the coats on them and he rode through the eastern gate. We did what the Bible said. That's faith. But they didn't understand it at this point. Could you imagine the euphoria that was in the hearts of the disciples? And and as I was preparing this message, uh, uh, something came to me, just a little connection I'd like to make for you today. In in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, it says, "And, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And, and I thought, wow, that is just so ridiculous. Why did the disciples think that they needed to take time and show Jesus the buildings of the temple when He is the God that they claim to worship in the temple? Because they knew enough about the prophecies that when Messiah come, He would be worshipped and He would show Himself as God in the temple of Jerusalem which Jesus will do when the new Jerusalem drops out of heaven and hovers over the face of the earth during the millennial kingdom. But they didn't know about that. The book of Revelation was about 80 years out at this point. 70 years out. They thought the kingdom was coming now. And Jesus had left the temple and they said, Jesus, don't you understand? This is a place where it's going to happen. You're going to rule and reign the world, and we're going to rule and reign with you. I don't know if they hand-pumped or not, but... Is it okay to joke a little bit? They were excited. See, it's easy to have great faith when circumstances are great. And could there be any greater circumstances than watching Jesus ride through that eastern gate, and the whole Jewish world assembled, praising Him as their Messiah. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests completely silenced time and time and time again. Jesus had showed Himself the Master. And the disciples were going, the kingdom is coming. But all that was going to change in just a few days. 
You see, faith in the most excellent times, the multitude rejoiced, the Pharisees soaked. Jesus did what Jesus was going to do because Jesus doesn't change. And the disciples were going, we're going to see the fulfillment of all the prophecies. But then we have faith in the absolute most terrible of times. How could anything be worse than the crucifixion? Now, if you study the Bible or know anything about it, the world celebrates Good Friday. I don't believe Jesus was crucified on Friday because you can't get three days and three nights. No matter how you figure it, between Friday afternoon and Sunday morning, if there was a way to do it, every dishonest laborer in the world would be taking advantage of that opportunity. Now, wouldn't they? But if you'll do your math, they have this thing called Silent Wednesday. You know why they have to get Silent Wednesday? Because they got to get to Friday. Well, you pop that out. Jesus was crucified on Thursday. You have your three days, your three nights. Very simply, it was Sunday he rode the gate through Jerusalem. It was Wednesday night he was betrayed. Monday and Tuesday were the teaching in the temple, which the Bible teaches us there were two days of teaching in the temple. You know what the multitude did on Thursday morning when Jesus was presented? And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief peace prevailed. You know what the Pharisees and the chief priests and the Sadducees and all of that religious crowd was doing today? They were high-fiving each other. They were rejoicing because Jesus was under their power because Judas had betrayed him. And now Jesus is ours. In fact, they were so so, uh, enwrapped with their own authority and their power over the situation that they were literally spitting and beating Jesus with the palms of their hands. He's ours. We, we own the day. The temple is saved. Our religion and our traditions have prevailed. And they attributed that to God. And they were right because God's prophecies had to be fulfilled. Do you know, we don't have time this morning, but On the Day of Atonement, the priest was supposed to lay his hands on the sacrifice and confess the sins of the people. Do you know the Pharisees did that? The scribes and the priests did that? As they slapped Jesus and confessed their unbelief in the trial of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every picture was fulfilled. The offering was flayed, not with a knife on a table of stone in the temple. but bent over a stone pillar in a Roman court with a Roman whip. It was not the fires of a wood uh, that roasted Jesus. It was the fires of the sun. And God himself actually turned the sun out as he turned his back on his son. All those parallels are there in the Bible. 
Everything was fulfilled. The scribes and the Pharisees rejoiced. The multitude went on. What did Jesus do? He didn't defend himself. As they drove the nails, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As he was led to Caiaphas's hall for the final judgment, he turned and looked on Peter, who had just denied him the third time. These were the things that Jesus did. The writer of Hebrews put it this way. For the glory that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. See, Jesus, when he uttered that one word in the Hebrew that makes three words in English that I have on the wall behind me here, he was talking about the fulfillment of every prophecy that needed to be fulfilled. Everything that was prophesied about Jesus Christ in his crucifixion, he said, it is finished. Every work that had to be done to pay the price for our sins forever, all sin, for all mankind, it was finished. It was no longer, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But, Father, into thy hands... I commend my spirit. And no, it was not a death gasp with which Jesus cried those words. It was the voice of victory. It said he shouted with a loud shout. If you're weak and on your last leg, you don't do that. You may have a gasp, but you're not going to pronounce sentences in power and authority as Jesus did. He said, it is finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He said it in such a way that the Roman centurion looked and said, truly this man was the Son of God. Everything Jesus did was in faith. Because it was in obedience and in fulfillment of God's word. Can we say amen to that? Now, what did the disciples, how did their faith behave in the worst of times? They ran and hid. Peter denied the Lord three times. Jesus? Never heard of him. Oh, okay. Surely you know who he is. You're a Galilean. Your speech has betrayed you. We pick up your accent. But nobody asked him again when he began to curse and swear because they knew Jesus' disciples don't talk that way. How would you like to have been there and caught the glance of Jesus while the profanity was still ringing from your lips? Tell you what. Faith often fails in the worst of circumstances because it's not biblical faith. It's focused on circumstances. Just like the disciples' faith was on the day Jesus rode the donkey through the gate. 
You see, it's easy to have faith on a good day. Everybody's going to be a Christian next Sunday. Easter, the only time that comes close is Christmas. Even the atheists give Christmas presents. Some of them. Listen, the multitude was going to have to make a decision. Praise God, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 of them got saved. A couple of weeks later, another 5,000 men got saved. They tell us that early church in Jerusalem, just within a year or two after Jesus' ascension into heaven, had 12,000 members. So what would you do if you had that many here? Uh, that's not possible. Uh, we can fit about 300 in here if we use every seat, maybe 320. But I'll tell you what, we'll be thankful for everyone that comes. And we've just really not had that problem yet. Maybe the Lord will give it to us someday, but let's, let's just be faithful. Let's stop worrying about the multitudes. The scribes and the Pharisees would feel the guilt of their decision in so much that they would persecute the disciples of Jesus Christ. They went stark raving mad when Stephen pointed his finger at him and said, you guys have murdered all the prophets and you killed Jesus who God rose again from the dead. And his dying breath was, I see Jesus sitting on the right hand of the Father and and they went mad. They, they were completely possessed. Because they had forsaken the words of God. Jesus said, you have faith in God. That's my Father. If you loved Him, you would love me. That's John chapter 8. Read it. He said, you're of your father the devil. And his deeds you're going to do. He is a murderer from the beginning and he was saying, you're sitting here plotting on how to murder me talking about serving God, the God of life, the God of love. And they couldn't hear his words because they had no faith. Well, let's talk about the disciples for a moment and we'll be done. You see... The disciples allowed Jesus to refocus their faith from circumstances to the Word of God. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we... What's that next word? Must? Is that an imperative? I mean, is that a word that uh, is exclusionary, we might say? Uh, Is that a fairly narrow word? It says there's only one name given among men under heaven, whereby we must... Be saved. There's no salvation anywhere else other than in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a a few verses more, let's skip down to verse 19. 
They were threatened not to teach in Jesus' name anymore, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Peter did a lot of things, but one thing he never did again was deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? In fact, he died for the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was the great preacher on the day of Pentecost. He was the preacher and the leader of the early disciples. No, I have no biblical record that he ever made it to Rome and no reason to believe that he ever did. The Bible tells us he went the other way. He went east. Let me tell you something. The disciples served faithfully according to the Word of God till the day they died, every one of them. And they served the Lord through his church. He knew I was going to get there sometime or another today. Amen? Because that's what Jesus gave us. Gave us this book. The living word. Here's the written word. He gave his body to die on the cross. But the church is the living body of Christ to live faith in this world. I get to be a part of that. And if you obey this book called the Bible, you can be a part of it too. You see, how does your faith behave? Are you excited and happy when everything's going the way you want? And then in despair when things are going the way you don't want? I, I would hope that we have no one here that would join the Pharisees and rejoice when things are going terrible and be sad when things are going well. But, uh, I mean, the, the Pharisees still live. They're still out there. Some said, well, I just want to be like Jesus. Well, then you have to join the apostles because you can't be Jesus. There's only one of those. I'll just, I'll just do, no, no. If you're going to serve Jesus Christ, you're going to do it his way, and that's through his church. Read, read your Bible. It's here. Thursday night, we were going through uh, the gospel, I mean, the letter of First John. We're talking about love. John chapter 4. Do you love the things that Jesus loved? Jesus loved his church. That's why he died for it. He wants you to be a part of it. Not to benefit him, but to benefit you. You know, I've met a lot of, I call them Lone Ranger Christians. They want to ride into town, solve everybody's problems. Oh, you just wait till you get on the mission field, brother. They're going to be knocking down your door. 
Well, there's no church to go to here. So God's called me to be a Lone Ranger Christian. They won't use that word. And you try to give them the gospel and teach them about the local church and they're gone. They're not going to submit. They're not going to be a part of something bigger than themselves because they're the biggest thing they ever met. And pride is the greatest of all sins in the Bible. No room for it. Not at all. Your faith. Is it up when things are good? Down when things are bad? Well, that's because your faith is in circumstances and what's going on. It needs to be changed. It's got to be in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and in His written Word. That's why Jesus wept as He looked at the city of Jerusalem. That's why He threw out the money changers when He went into the temple. That's why He kept slapping down the Pharisees and those that would come to entrap Him in His words. And that's why He didn't say a word when He stood before Herod and when He stood before Pontius Pilate. Let me tell you something. That's why Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that's why he's called us to serve him. The kingdom is not here yet. You want to see a whole plethora of biblical foolishness. Just try to follow Kingdom theology. It's out there. Let me tell you what. It's not your job to bring in Christ's kingdom. It belongs to him. He'll take care of that without your help. Thank you very much. How about you just be faithful to the things this book talks about? Get saved. If you're not baptized the Bible way, guess what? We can take care of that. If you want to get baptized in cold water, we'll take care of it tonight. If you want warm water, we'll do it next Sunday morning. Amen? It takes about 12 hours to heat the water. But we'll do whatever you want because we want you to be obedient to the Word of God. Amen? I got waiters, so it doesn't really matter how cold the water is for me, huh? But listen, how does your faith behave? Where do you find yourself in this story? So I made a mess of things. Well, read the story of the disciples. I don't think you could make a biggest mess as Peter did. Amen? And you probably won't make as big an obedience as Peter did either. But there were a lot of disciples. Most of them, we don't even know their names. That's okay. Because they had faith in Jesus Christ. And all God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, I ask that you would take your word and apply it to the lives of those that are here today. That we would not sit here and tried to make excuses for why we're not doing what the Bible says, but, Lord, that we would just simply surrender to your word. 
Lord, I cannot see in the heart and life of each one here, and I'm glad I can't. But you can. And Lord, we pray for those that sit among us that have either a false salvation or none at all. And that you would help them by faith to see that the only true salvation is in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. We pray for those that are just struggling with circumstances. That you would allow them to take the, uh, their eye and their heart off circumstances, no matter how good or how bad. Put them on the Word of God that never changes. Lord, we pray for those that have their faith focused on the Word of God. And I pray that the message this morning would just encourage them a little more to hold on a little more tightly to the things that they have. That we would walk together till you come forth. In faith, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as Andrew comes and leads in the hymn of invitation. If you need to come and pray, the altar is open.